Welcome back, everybody. This is Eric and Matt, and this is Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit, your beacon of freedom and the American way of life. Tune in every Friday for a new episode as we dive into the world of liberty and what makes our country great. All right, guys, welcome back. We've got another episode of Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit, and I hope everybody is having a great week. Thanks so much for tuning back in. Matt, how's things been going, man? Super busy, as always, Eric. You know, we've both been, you know, running balls to the wall, and it's always good to get back in here and, and get a couple episodes cut, and I think that we have uh, a really good episode for today. I'm actually super excited to to get into it. You know... It- Sometime back, you know, I cut an episode, Matt, where I was sort of talking about, you know, Elon Musk's Twitter takeover and the potential for that. So we want to use, you know, Musk purchasing Twitter as kind of a vehicle to drive this conversation and hopefully get into a little bit greater discussion about censorship, First Amendment issues, big tech government overreach and things like that. So I think it's going to be a more all-encompassing thing. But the reason that the that the Twitter takeover is so you know, instrumental and important to this whole thing is, you know, we're going to break into that as to some of the things that Elon Musk has said um, in regards to the takeover, in regards to the purchase of Twitter, um, including some really funny stuff that that he said. But um, I think it will drive a greater conversation. And I want to spend some time talking about this and really get into the beans and bullets, because I think it goes maybe a little deeper than what some people may be seeing on the surface. So I'd like to take some time to talk about that. Before we get started on today's podcast, I would like to thank our friends at Arkin Optics for supporting Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit. If you're looking for the most awesome, ruggedized precision optics that you could ever ask for for the money, you will never beat an Arkin. We've torture tested them. We've shot them out to long range. They track perfectly. They pass box tests, tall target tests. Um, the guys that put these things together have real experience in the field of sniping. Uh, a lot of them are military veterans, really good people. Um, if you are absolutely looking for a great precision optic that's not going to break the bank, check out Ar- Arkin. I think that they're really putting out some great stuff. And uh, big thanks to them for supporting our podcast. Yeah. And actually, um, I'm glad you brought that up. They just uh, dropped a new optic, a EPL5, um, which has Japanese glass and is lightweight. So it's a lightweight version of their high-end mm-hmm. optic. Um, we're going to have to put those yeah, two Yeah, we're going to have to put one sure. out there and see. Yep. I mean, if, if the other optics are holding up as good as they are, I can't wait to see how the Japanese glass is holding up. Yep. So we'll, we'll definitely check those out. Okay, so let's get into this. And I've got the Twitter desk uh, pulled up here. And uh, we are experimenting with some different screen recording stuff and all. So I apologize if you see me kind of getting a little crazy here. But um, <laughs> we're, we're trying to expand the production quality as best we can, y'all. Uh, bear with us as we um, as we get there. So let's just let's go check out. Elon's Twitter, real quick. We got the Twitter desk pulled up, and we're just going <laughs> to... Twitter complaint hotline operator. I like it. And he is... I mean, say what you say. Say what you want about Elon. Like, he's with it, man. Like, he is, he's super sharp. He's su- he's really current. He's on to the current trends. He's witty. Um, yeah, people have their own opinions, but this is he's a great example of someone that's older that still lives in the younger generation. Like he can, he can really, um, I guess you could say he can really connect with the younger generation. Cause you know, an older person might say like, it's like, Oh, well, that's not very professional for like a CEO of, you know, three different multi-billion dollar companies. 
But then you were on my scene, like, that's hilarious, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, th- I think that, you know, and, and Elon is always, he's always coined quite the spicy meme from time to time, yeah. which I can appreciate about him. He does have a good sense of humor. So let's look at this poll that he put up. Advertisers should support the following, either freedom of speech or political correctness. I mean, I think freedom of speech is probably important. Let's click that and see what the poll yep. says. Freedom of speech, Ooh, 78% nice. of respondents said that freedom of speech is what advertisers should support over political correctness. And that's over 2,395,625 votes. That's a, I mean, that is a huge sample size. Yes. I mean, when you look at most of these, like, you know, polls that you see, the respondents are usually in like the hundreds. Here you have a sample size of over 2 million people. And I think to see 76% want freedom of speech um, really shows where the trend of anti-woke is going because mm-hmm. people are just sick of it, man. And I think that Twitter is the perfect vehicle to kind of head up this new anti-woke movement because for the longest time you could say Twitter was irrelevant. It was irrelevant outside of two things, news and pornography. Those were the two things that were kind of keeping Twitter in the limelight or keeping them relevant at all. Now we're seeing a huge movement for, and I hate to say it, um, they're they're kind of riding on the coattails of what Parler originally built, which was like that freedom of speech, uncensorship. Well, we all saw what happened with Parler. They never recovered from that. But Twitter has the, the uh, opportunity to step in and fill that void of, hey, guys, we can do what they started. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with saying, hey, we can still fill this void and and take up the mission of free speech. Well, where Parler got in a lot of trouble is when Amazon dropped them from their servers and everything, yes. and that really screwed them up. And they had this huge data dump, and people lost you know, faith in the platform. Some people got jettisoned from the platform, including mm-hmm. myself. I had like 45,000 followers on Parler within yep. a pretty short order, and I could never access my account again. I was like, you know what? The heck with it. So let's backtrack a little bit, and let's get back here. We're going to the – this is uh, theeconomist.com. And this article here, we're just you know, just gives us a bit of an idea about Twitter's um, or Elon's Twitter acquisition. Elon Musk buys Twitter at last. Now comes the hard part. All right, so we're just going to pull this up. The bird is freed. Tweeted Elon Musk late on October 27th after at last completing his acquisition of Twitter. The world's richest man and third most followed tweeter, fast closing in on Justin Bieber, now owns arguably the world's most influential news platform. He's already reportedly sacked Twitter's chief executive and has changed his own Twitter profile to Chief Twit. Mr. Musk spent most of the past six months trying unsuccessfully to wiggle out of the deal. In April, he tried to pay $44 billion for the company, just as tech stocks started to slide. But July... Twitter's market value has fallen below $25 billion. Since then, the climate has only soured. This week, Alphabet, uh, Amazon, and Meta all show double-digit percentage drops in their share price. Uh, Twitter's much-criticized board has, in the end, extracted what looks like a sweet deal for shareholders. So there was this whole legal paradigm that was occurring with Musk and the Twitter acquisition, but basically to simplify this podcast and to simplify the information you're being given, um, 
he owns it now. Okay, so no matter what the the back and forth and the little bit of court kerfuffles that were going on, at the end of the day, Musk now owns Twitter. So let's talk a little bit about them sacking Agarol. All right, um, let's see. This is an article from the Times of India dot IndiaTimes.com. Um, Agarol um, is is Indian, so I guess this would have made news in India because yeah, it's, it's that's big, pretty important. It, yeah, it's a big deal. Yeah, when you've got someone who's an Indian, you know, a person of Indian heritage being let go from such a large company, that's obviously going to make the news yes. in there. But I saw this article and I thought we could um, just kind of share it here a little bit. Um, so this article is from October 29th, 2022. These are the leaked emails and chats that may have led to the sacking of Parag Agrawal and other top execs at Twitter. So Musk went in and cleaned house and fired a bunch of people at Twitter. As he should have, because that, that's the reason they, they are they were the way they were. We're going to get into a couple of other things. But, but yeah, it, it, it is kind of random mm-hmm. how... You know, you you see that I, I think I had read an email somewhere where they were saying that for every person coding, there were ten uh, up to ten people supervising and and managing for every one coder. Yeah, and you know when the he, one of the people he let go was uh, Vijaya God Gade. She was the one. She was the head of like trust and you know, whatever it was at Twitter, the head of trust and security or something. But ultimately, she was the the person that rubber stamped who was banned from the platform and set the rules of you know who got suspended, who got banned. She was on Joe Rogan, um, and I can't understand how she was able to retain that job because when they Tim, it was Tim Pool and Joe Rogan. They were both asking questions about specific people, and you know the the smug look on her face when she would reply to like when they asked about a certain instance, she would have a smug look and she would reply with, "Well, I'm not familiar with that particular scenario or that particular person," and here I am thinking, while I'm watching this podcast, you're the head of trust and security. You're going on to a huge podcast with a huge audience and you didn't do the due diligence to know like these are the people that they're going to ask you about. And you know dang well that Pool or Rogan yes. is going to ask you the hard yes. questions because that's what and, they do. And, it, and I, it's basically woeful incompetence. It's it's they they just feign and feign ignorance because like oh I don't know about that. It's like when you watch the the congressional hearings and they just say I don't recall, I don't recall, mm-hmm. I don't recall, and you're just screaming at the at the TV. You're like, what do you mean? So it's it's feigning ignorance, and that I, I just don't understand how they could maintain that employment there, especially in a position that high up, and then. People are like, well, I can't believe Elon went in there and cleaned house. Can you? Were you not watching the same thing that, you know, 10 million other people watched? So, you know, good for him. I think that he did the right thing. And the one thing, and again, everybody has their own opinion of Elon. I have to give the man credit to go in there and just rip the Band-Aid off. There is no political correctness. There is no like, oh, we have to do it in a systematic way and make sure that everything is done correctly. Dude walked into the lobby with the kitchen sink knowing like everybody gets it. We're throwing everything out except the kitchen sink. 
And by God, he did. <laughs> and then hopefully they can turn that ship. And everybody should understand that when you turn the ship, it's not immediate. It's like an aircraft carrier and you spin that wheel. It, it's going to take a while for that ship to actually start turning. But the fact that he was able to go in there and just, I imagine like a mental image of him just walking into the captain's bridge and just going, boop, and just like spinning the wheel and just walking away. He's like, we're going to turn and just yep. get it done. Well, when you got a coder and 10 people look over, you know, looking over that person's shoulder as a coder, yeah. it almost makes you wonder, is there so much political oversight? Is it like you have political officers like you have in communism where, you know, you've got these people that are in charge of propaganda and, and, and establishing a narrative and pushing a certain narrative Right. A certain political group that gets in there and goes, hey, we have power at this company to further our own political goals. This isn't about people's right to say what they want. This is about our right to control the information that people are being given. And I think that that's what Musk is really trying to get at the head of and figure out what the heck is going on, because I I do believe we're going to read some tweets. But first, let's read this article um, about Agrol real quick. Um, Elon Musk on Thursday, October 27th, closed the $44 billion deal uh, announced in April to take Twitter private and took ownership of the influential social media platform. The announcement came after seven months of dilly-dallying and uncertainty for Twitter employees and shareholders. The Twitter Musk saga reached some definite conclusions hours before the court set October 28th deadline to close the deal. Within hours of taking over, Musk fired some of the top-level brass at Twitter. This included the Indian-origin CEO Parag Agrawal, uh, Vijaya Gadi, Gadi, the head of legal policy and trust. That's the one you just Mm -hmm. talked about. Um, Chief Financial Officer Ned Siegel, who joined Twitter in 2017, and Sean Edgett, who was Twitter's general counsel since 2012. I apologize on butchering these names. A series of leaked conversations between Musk, former Agrawal, and co-founder Jack Dorsey tells that all was not fine. The nature of relation that Musk and now ousted Agrawal shared from the beginning after the formal announcement his plans to acquire Twitter in April. What started with Agrawal welcoming Musk and the two bonding on their interests in engineering soured soon. Musk and Agrawal seemed to have tried to accommodate each other's suggestions of making Twitter a better place, but things turned unpleasant over the next three weeks, with Musk coming up, uh, coming to an understanding that Agrawal's methods were too slow and that he wanted to make people happy would never be so. So Turning that gives that us kind ship. of a snapshot of, of why he got rid of... Now, we, we don't see those emails that are in question here. Uh, we certainly don't. Now, let's, uh, let's fast forward to... Uh, Musk says that Twitter will charge $8 a month for the blue check mark. Now, mm-hmm. initially what happened here, Matt, I'm sure you may recall, I think he originally came out and said, we're going to charge $20 a month. I don't recall. Yeah. So <laughs> uh, Musk was saying he was going to charge like 20 bucks a month for people to keep their blue check mark. And, um, and now he's, he's backpedaled to say, uh, we're going to do $8 a month. And of course, everybody's melting down over, especially people who already have this blue check mark. Right. Mm-hmm. And if you don't know, and those of you that are, tuning in or listening or whatever or watching here on YouTube. When you get the when you get verified on Twitter, you know, I think that there's a lot of other things that kind of come along with it. One, you get some algorithmic girth. 
you know, you have your posts get seen by a lot more people. They get suggested by a lot more people. Yep. You know, you don't get ratioed. I mean, there's a lot of things that having that blue check mark does. And I think that, you know, there was like an entire like in crowd at, at Twitter. And I think the thing was, well, if you're in the know and you know the right people or you're politically connected with the right people, you get the blue check mark. And if you don't have the check mark, oh, you're just a plebe, you're a nobody, and your posts are never going to really go beyond people that are actually searching for you. Now, one of the interesting things about that is that if you are somebody that's being searched for a lot, like for instance, not to toot my own horn or anything, not getting there and, and saying it like that, but if I go back to my Twitter page and just look at, I mean, we've got like almost 97,000 followers and, you know, our, our tweets get some pretty decent traffic, but these aren't tweets that are getting, like, suggested or right. put alongside other content Going or into put into random feeds. This is just organic growth from people looking for me on Twitter, and they're either looking for me to follow me or... Or these tweets are really only going out to the people that follow me, and you're never going to see them like show up anywhere or gain any sort of algorithmic traffic or algorithmic growth or really hit a ratio where they're you know kicking mm -hmm. butt like they would when you see like most of those viral tweets are usually from someone with a blue check mark. Right. So it's like they're they're kind of holding back the people that don't have the blue check mark, and then algorithmically building up uh, the people uh, that do. But there's also another kind of tiny thing about this, and this was originally one of the big deals that Elon Musk was having a problem with with Twitter early on was uh, the disputed amount of bot accounts. Yes. So he's wanting to charge $8 a month. So here's the thing. You pay $8 a month and you'll get a blue check mark. That means you're verified. But it also means you're a real person. Exactly. You have a credit card. You pay $8 a month. They can verify that you're not a fake account. So I think what's going to wind up happening is people are going to sign up for the eight bucks a month because Twitter's a great platform and they want to know that the person they're talking to is a real person. I mean, think about if you're a company who wants to have 20,000 bot accounts to troll people with or to pass some political dissent along or something like that. You're going to sit there and pay $8 per account to verify them to make it look like they're a real account when they're not? Well, think about the logistics involved in that. So let's just say you did pay, let's just say you were a bot farm and you did pay $8 a month for, you know, 10,000 accounts. If you had that type of money to do it, you would need 10,000 different credit cards, 10,000 different billing addresses, and they would all have to match. So there, there, I mean, there's enough money out there. There's organizations that have that type of money, but they don't have the type of bandwidth to go and get you know, actual home addresses, billing addresses, different credit cards. And it'd be very easy algorithmically for them to say, well, here's 10,000 verified accounts, but they're all getting billed to the same business account or they're all getting billed to the same credit card or they're in blocks with these different. So it makes it that much more difficult for them to get away with like bot farming or like, you know, as Reddit would say, karma farming and stuff like that, because it's easily traceable. Um, and the big thing is people are upset because they don't understand that you can, it's not like they're cutting the service for people that don't have the check mark that aren't verified. You can still use Twitter if you're not verified. You just won't have the check mark. You can still post comments. You can still create accounts. You can still do whatever you want. It's still a free service. It's still a free service. You just won't have the check mark. And what does that mean? That if you're just a regular person, why does it matter? Well, to be fair, 
let's say that if Twitter's actual valuation was only only twenty five billion only. compared to the forty four billion that he paid for it, and mm-hmm. say that you had to you had to crap this forty four billion dollars. As a businessman, it really wouldn't make a lot of sense on his part to just allow the floodgates to open, basically to allow advertisers and bots to have a giant political platform that they can you know, use as a propaganda headpiece mm-hmm. instead of just allowing advertisers to get in there and compete, maybe for some targeted ads that are you know, something you actually want to see, and then allow people, you know, if they pay the $8 a month um, for Twitter Blue... You're verified, and maybe you get less ads. So if you're mm-hmm. if you're you're using the free version, you might get more ads. So these these platforms have to pay for it somehow. I mean, it costs a lot of money to host all this stuff and everything. So and, Twitter's and then never the man been profitable. just the man just just you know had to crap forty four billion dollars. So you got to recoup that investment. It's still an investment. Now we'll get back to some of Elon's tweets about why he took over Twitter in a minute, but let's talk a little bit about um, this Reuters article. Musk says Twitter will charge eight dollars for the blue check mark, and we'll just give a little bit more context here. Twitter will charge eight dollars a month for its blue service, which includes its sought after verified badge. New boss Elon Musk said on Tuesday as he seeks to boost subscriptions and make the social network less reliant on ads. Mm-hmm. Twitter's current lords and peasants systems. For who has or hasn't or doesn't have a blue check mark is bullshit. Power to the people, blue for eight dollars a month, Musk said in a tweet, adding that the price will be adjusted by country proportionate to purchasing power parity. Talk about equity, huh? What a nice guy. Or equality, I should say. Right. Equality. And he's gonna he's gonna adjust the price because I mean obviously eight bucks I guess in some parts of the world eight dollars is is eight eight dollars American is a lot of money. And it's like a month's salary in some That's countries. Right. A blue check mark next to a person's username on the social media platform means Twitter has confirmed that the account belongs to the person or company claiming it. Twitter is currently free for most users. Billionaire Musk bought Twitter for $44 billion last week. Since the takeover, he has moved quickly to put his stamp on the company, firing its previous chief and other top officials. Um, anyway, we're not going to get too crazy in on this article, but just to give you an idea. For $8, bucks, um, so Twitter blew was originally just sort of a, you know, a few additional suites of tools that you could get. I signed up for Twitter Blue probably maybe about a month ago because I wanted to be able to have access to the edit button. And it also gives you the ability to get, um, you know, some of the most top performing news articles. So it's it's kind of cool in that regard. It does give you a little bit expanded uh, suite of tools. But gosh, for eight bucks a month that I'm already paying anyway for Twitter Blue, if I can get verified, I think that's only fair. I mean, especially if the verification gives you any sort of uh, additional algorithmic um, function. So why, I guess at this point, Matt, what we have to come up with is, why is all this important? Okay, we, we spent the last like almost half hour setting up uh, the, 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 <laughs> the stage here, if you will, to discuss why, you know, what, you know, influence this is going to have on the election that's coming up. What influence this is going to have on politics moving forward? What influence this is going to have on discourse? And what brought us here in the first place? I think those are very important things, you know, to discuss, Matt, well, it, it is to talk about those things. And is. I do have a few supporting articles pulled up, but just before we get into that, I mean. So before we do any of that, yeah. I just want to, and this just came out, like, I think yesterday or the day before. So, and, and I know this isn't going to be super off topic. Um, so we all know about TikTok. So TikTok, um, 
basically the the short form video web service was the uh, post version of Vine. So if you guys remember, Vine was owned by Twitter. It was the original like 12 second, you know, 20 second short form video clip with music. And it's like, do it for the Vine. Um, they Twitter shut it down for some, like, I don't know. I don't understand why. Uh, and then you saw a couple of other streaming apps pop up like uh, Periscope and Meerkat that kind of like tried to go into that space. But Vine was the originator. Well, I like Elon because he's like the ultimate troll. Like he's like a troll that has enough money to actually do what whatever he wants, which is kind of like resonates with people because <clears throat> they're like, it does, you know, because it's like, what what are you going to do? I'm like, well, I'm just going to do it. And whatever happens, happens. He's bringing back Vine to, and he's doing that, I guess, because he honestly, and I want to believe this, he sees that TikTok is getting out of control with what they can control algorithmically. So in the US, they're feeding, they're feeding the kids these stupid challenge videos and kids are dying. But if you look at what they're feeding the kids in like China, cause TikTok is a Chinese company, they're feeding those kids algorithm, algorithmically. Oh, hard work, masculine. Like they're feeding them the opposite of what they're feeding the U.S. kids. So these kids are over here eating Tide Pods and choking themselves to death because of these challenges. And the kids in China are like working out, getting cut, doing their homework, like all kinds. And it's just like this weird disparity of like what these kids are being brought up with because of one app. If he actually, and it's popular, it's super pop- popular. But is I'm um, honestly like I don't have it installed on my phone because it's absolutely crazy the amount of uh, information they scrape from your phone, and I can get away with it because I don't have kids that are of the age to be using TikTok, um, and I don't have any desire to use TikTok. But I I firmly believe it's the music ratio, like the uh, aspect of it that you can put in that really modern hip current hip oh my god oh oh hey kids oh i'm a cool guy i'm so sorry guys i'm so sorry that's so bad hip young youngsters hey hey hi there all right we're they're they're using good music damn it i can't believe i just did that all right well he's bringing back vine and when he does I think it's going to be a game changer because you're going to see a cultural shift from something that's like a chinese company to an American-based company that's not sending all that data overseas. and But most importantly is he has enough money to back it up. He could just... He could just lose money. He doesn't care. Like, when you have that much money... Yeah, just, but he won't. He won't. He'll, he won't. Find, he'll find a way, but it's like that... It's like the... You're almost as another company. You're scared because you know that he will do it. Like he, he's just like that. Yeah. You're like, oh, he will. He won't, but he will. I mean, think about all the memeish things that this guy's done. Yeah, and it's been successful when it wasn't even intended to make money in the first place. The flamethrower. Yeah, the like- flamethrower. <laughs> look, look at the the Dogecoin thing. Yeah. It's just crazy. Uh, and and when, by all means, guys, this is not supposed to be like some fanboy Elon like Musk episode because it's not. But at the same time, like it's just. It's fun to have that conversation. Like, what would you do if you were like, you know, a billionaire with like ninety billion dollars? You have more money than the GDP of eighty percent of the world. You know, it's yeah. just like, what's going on? Yeah, you're kind of a country in and of yourself. And yeah. I agree. Like, 
it's not a Elon Musk worship thing. It, it, it's not. But you do have to kind of think about, you know, what what some of the things the guy has said and what his intentions are. And we're going to get into that a little bit yes. more and look back through some of those tweets. Uh, but first, I want to pull up this um, article here from TheIntercept.com. It's called The Truth Cops. Leaked documents outline the Department of Homeland Security's plans to police disinformation. We're going to get into this pretty hard because now we're getting into the section where we're going to go down the rabbit hole because, okay, why is all this important, right? Musk has mm-hmm. said before that he believes in having a, um, you know, kind of a town square area yeah. for people to free, share information, to have free platform. speech, you know, a place where they can get information that's non-biased, a place where they can simply just get all the facts in from all the different resources with no special treatment given to any one side of the argument and then allow people to gather their their own view or whatever. In fact, just the other day, the White House made a statement about Social Security benefits going up. Well, since 1972, Nixon signed uh, into law that Social Security benefits are to go up with inflation. So right. what the White House tried to say, oh, because of Biden's leadership, yeah, uh, no. the, the Social Security benefits are up. No, dummy. The Social Security benefits are up because of the inflation, because back in 72, Nixon sign that into law that they had that has to go up with inflation. So the White House actually put their own foot in their mouth and acknowledged that inflation's a thing. But the reason so why the White House actually pulled the tweet, they deleted the tweet mm-hmm. after Twitter put a little bubble at the bottom that says, "Hey, actually in 1972." And so once they provided the correct context and people go, "Well, wait a minute. This isn't just some talking point." Right? right? They're literally lying to you and saying that it ain't got nothing to do with Biden. This they got was fact checked. They got Dang. they got fact checked. So <laughs> this is the reality of the new Twitter, right? This is the reality of Musk owning Twitter now that we have to accept is that there's going to be a lot more oversight over lies, especially coming from sides of the political aisle who have traditionally on this platform been favored by the people who run the platform, mm-hmm. and with ten people. Uh, 10 managing people or 10 overseeing people to every one coder, you almost have to wonder if there's not some giant government overreach involved, which we are going to discuss here. The Department of Homeland Security is quietly, and look, this is not satire. This is a real article. This is really happening, y'all. On theintercept.com. Yes, on theintercept.com. The Department of Homeland Security is quietly broadening its efforts to curb Speech it considers dangerous. An investigation by The Intercept is found. Years of internal DHS memos, emails, and documents obtained via leaks uh, and an ongoing lawsuit, as well as public documents, illustrate an expansive effort by the agency to influence tech platforms. Hmm. The work, much of which remains unknown to the American public, came into clearer view earlier this year when Department of Homeland Security announced a new disinformation governance board, a panel designed to police misinformation, uh, false information spread unintentionally, disinformation, which is false information spread intentionally, and malinformation, factual information shared typically out of context with harmful intent that allegedly threatens U.S. interests. It's a lot of information. While the board was widely ridiculed, uh, immediately scaled back, and then shut down within a few months, other initiatives are underway as Department of Homeland Security pivots to monitoring social media now that its original mandate, the war on terror, has been wound down. What did we say about the Patriot Act? We've yep. said this in other episodes, Matt. What yep. did we say about the Patriot Act? It, it's just a foot in the door to 
you know, to other means. So they use the, they use the war to pass the bill. And then now that the war is over, you know, everybody screams, Oh, it's, it's just for this. And we, I promise we're not going to do it after everything's wound down. We're just going to, we're not going to do it wrong. They right. Are, they already have the power. They're yeah. never going to give it up. Now you're the terrorist. Yes. Now average people who are just trying to live their lives. Now, now you are that the subject of that screen. Which they tried to label, like, I think what, maybe three months ago, they tried to label a whole bunch of people radical with MVEs and like there, you can see that they're already starting to label so they can continue to use that power. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's scary, man, especially with the way technology is now. Mm. Yeah. So behind closed doors and through pressure on pl- uh, private platforms, the U.S. government has used its power to try and shape online discourse. According to meeting minutes and other records uh, appended to a lawsuit filed by Missouri Attorney General Eric Schmidt, a Republican who is also running for Senate, discussions have ranged from the scale and scope of government intervention in online discourse to the mechanics of streamlining takedown requests for false or intentionally misleading information. Platforms have to get comfortable with government. It's really interesting how hesitant they remain. Microsoft executive Matt Masterson, a former Department of Homeland Security official, texted Jen Easterly, a Department of Homeland Security director, in February. In a March meeting, Laura Dimlow, an FBI official, warned that the threat of subversive information on social media could undermine support for the U.S. government. Uh, Dimlow, according to... Notes of the discussion attended by senior executives from Twitter and J.P. Morgan Chase stressed that we need a media infrastructure that is held accountable. Why, mm. why are bankers even interested in this? That's interesting mm. that you have banks that are talking, like, talking to the FBI about misinformation. It doesn't even pertain to them. Well, what, what, what I find funny is that, oh, well, they, they want to undermine the validity of the U.S. government. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. If your ideas are great, they don't have to be enforced at gunpoint. They don't have to be enforced by a person saying, oh, you can't see that information. That's mm-hmm. incorrect. Oh, no, no, that that makes us look bad. You can't say that. Like, yep. look, good. If, if the things that you're doing are good and deserve, you know, praise, then you're going to get praise. If the things you're doing deserve ridicule, you're going to get ridicule. But to think that there's some, you know, gatekeeper or troll on top of the bridge Going, oh, no, 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 look the other way. You can't look over here and see all this bad stuff we're doing. That's terrible. That was like when Pelosi said, we have to pass the bill so that we can read the bill. And we're like, that's like the complete opposite of how how it's supposed to operate. We do not coordinate with other entities when making content moderation decisions. Mm -hmm. And we independently evaluate content in line with the Twitter rules, a spokesman for Twitter wrote in a statement to The Intercept. There is also a formalized process for government officials to directly flag content on Facebook or Instagram and request it be throttled or suppressed through a special Facebook portal that requires a government or law enforcement email to use. At the time of writing, the content request system at Facebook is still live. DHS and Meta, the parent company of Facebook, did not respond to a request for comment, and the FBI declined to comment. All right, so I have something I want to say about this. So my Facebook account of over 820,000 followers, was unpublished. They would not give me a reason. I've had multiple former Facebook engineers look out uh, on the back end and try to do what they can to get my Facebook account restored. And we're having a great deal of trouble 
getting this taken care of. The FBI on my very front porch said, hey, we noticed that your Facebook page was unpublished. That, that seems to be a problem. You know, I'm sitting there. I've got never been in trouble a day in my life. Okay? Never had a single problem with anything. Hardly a speeding ticket. I'm clean as a freaking whistle. Okay? And to have somebody that... And at the time, I never even... I never even really announced or made any kind of formal announcement that my Facebook page was actually unpublished. This was like right at the point that it wasn't showing up and we couldn't really figure it out. And here I have this guy from the FBI on my very own front porch telling me, oh, well, that sucks about your Facebook page. It seems a little bit too convenient to me. That's right. You know what I mean? And and we're still in the process of trying to figure this whole thing out. I mean, Facebook could be culpable for this in legally in a lot of ways, right? The argument ends up being, well, if you don't like what the platform's doing, start your own platform. Well, Elon Musk bought a platform. Now everyone wants to backpedal and go, oh, well, no, he can't do this and, and that, right? So, you know, be careful what you wish for, right? So, yes, a platform can do whatever they want if they're a private business. But what the issue at hand is, is that if the government is directing them to censor content on their platform and they acquiesce to that request... Now it is a First Amendment issue because, you know, the, the, the company doesn't necessarily have to adhere to your freedom of speech, but the government does. And if there's a portal, if there's a way for them to go, hey, this content's causing us problems, we don't like this, right? Is that to say that some of my content, which I had just posted an article about David Chipman on my Facebook page, not even days before it got unpublished, mm -hmm. and it got 750,000 impressions, did that mean that they got 25,000 phone calls from that post that were pissed about David Chipman. And they were like, shut this guy down. For God's sake, he's driving us nuts. Is that what happened? Perhaps. Maybe we'll find well, out. Maybe, uh, maybe in Discovery, Facebook, if you're listening, in Discovery, we're going to figure all this out. So, well, hope you're ready, because I'm coming. In result, David Chipman is not in office. Exactly. <laughs> So was what was people like me being such a fly in the ointment over this whole thing that they got a takedown notice and then they said, you know what, let's just pull this guy's freaking account. Just mm -hmm. pull the rug out from under him completely. Now I can't verify that. But when you see these kind of things coming to light, it kind of makes you think, you know, if it if it quacks like a duck, looks like a duck, it's probably a duck. I mean, it'd be one thing if I only had a Facebook account for like a year. Right. But I had a Facebook account for like a decade. So you mean that my content was fine for a whole decade until it wasn't? Yeah. And I've been consistent? Come on. No one's buying it. I'm not buying it. I'm, Facebook, I'm certainly not buying it. DHS's mission to fight disinformation stemming from concerns around Russian influence in the 2016 presidential election began taking shape during the 2020 election and over efforts to shape discussions around vaccine policy during the coronavirus pandemic. Documents collected by The Intercept from a variety of sources, including current officials and publicly available reports, reveal the evolution of more active measures by DHS. According to a draft copy of DHS's uh, Quadrilineal Homeland Security Review, DHS's capstone report outlining the department's strategy and priorities in the coming years, the department plans to target inaccurate information on a wide range of topics, including the origins of the COOF, uh, the, uh, the efficacy, I'm sorry, of the uh, COOF vax, um, 
racial justice, U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan, and the nature of U.S. support to Ukraine. The challenge is particularly acute in marginalized communities, the report states, which are often the targets of false or misleading information, such as false information on voting procedures targeting people of color. And the inclusion of the 2021 U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan is particularly noteworthy, given that House Republicans, should they take the majority in the midterms, have vowed to investigate. This makes Benghazi look like a much smaller issue, said Rep. Mike Johnson, a Republican of Louisiana and a member of the Armed uh, Services Committee, uh, finding that uh, that answers will be a top priority. So, again, this article is pretty long and goes into a lot of detail. We'll include a link to it. I'm not going to read the whole article because we don't have a ton of time, but this does paint the picture, Matt. It does. You you can totally see what is unfolding in front of our very eyes. Well, everybody always, you know, screams, oh, the all the alphabet agencies have a a hotline, a bat phone that they can pick up, and on the other end is going to be the person that can censor that material i think that was evident when you saw uh mark zuckerberg try to answer questions on rogan about you know how that whole thing took place about how you know the fbi contacted them about possible uh a data dump happening and they need to get ready to censor these things and it, it it's almost psychotic how these ceos can compartmentalize and validate that they're okay with this. So if you looked at, you know, Twitter when they had their interview, when you look at Zuckerberg when they had their interview, and as long as they're getting paid, as long as they're making money, they're okay censoring and they're okay curating. They're going to meet the the Democratic Party uh, to answer questions, to work with them, to see how they can help them. And then all of a sudden... Twitter gets purchased. The the gates are about to be open for free speech. And next thing you know, all of a sudden, everybody has their arms up in the air. Hey, you can't do that. At first, they were trying to force him to purchase Twitter. They said he tried to back out. No, 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 no. You made a deal. You have to buy it and you're going to lose money. Okay, no problem. Buys it, opens up the gates. I really hope that, you know, as users, we can turn Twitter into a powerhouse, into free speech. It is very, and, and you know, one of the things is, it's very easy to use. It's very quick. It's almost like the the verbal version of Reels. You're getting a complete thought in a very in a in a snippet. You can just look at it. You can get that thought, and then you move on like a shower thought. As far as the censorship goes, it is prevalent both on Facebook, Instagram, um, the way that they can curate, they can choose and pick what you see uh, just based off of the data, based off of your gender, based off of your age group, your browsing habits, what you look at. It is scary, man. Like they... When you're scrolling on Instagram and you see those videos start to autoplay, they know how long you stop scrolling to look at that thing autoplay and then move on. Mm-hmm. It, I've tested this. I've I've been scrolling and I stop and Facebook does it too. I'll stop and just look at a video of like something random 
for a little bit longer than I should. And next thing you know, the next three videos are something similar to what you stopped to watch for four seconds or five seconds. Oh, he must enjoy it. We're going to keep feeding him that. And then the next three videos, you just keep scrolling by and you never see it again. Oh, the shadow banning on Instagram is freaking terrible. Dude, I have to type in your whole IG handle down to the last eight. You can't tell me that that's not by design. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like they're throttling the crap out of me because they disagree with me. Now, you know, Twitter doesn't own Instagram. All right. So... Let's um let's look at a couple of uh, Elon Musk tweets. I, I promised earlier that we would read a few because yep. I I think this really paints a picture for what he's trying to accomplish, and we're going to go back sort of chronologically. This one's just from a few hours ago. Um, let's see, and he's he's talking about he's he's talking about Twitter. Okay, because it consists of billions of bi-directional interactions per day, Twitter can be thought of as a collective cybernetic superintelligence with a lot of room for improvement. So there he is acknowledging that Twitter needs needs some fixing. It needs some improvement. There, you know, he was getting into a little bit of a spat with AOC because AOC was complaining about paying eight bucks a month. And of course, he pointed out the hypocrisy that she sells $58 sweatshirts. Dude, this is why this is why people love him. Because he's not afraid to just do what a normal person would do. A normal person would do that. They would screen they would just screenshot the item on their phone. Like, hey, man, this is $58 and you're complaining about an $8 thing. Like, that is a normal thing to do. Elon said being attacked by right and left simultaneously is a good sign. And he's absolutely correct. So there are people on both sides of the political perspective that are pissed at Elon in, in different ways. And, uh, you know, I've, I've always thought that Elon is kind of a little bit sort of centralist, which I can appreciate about him. I think that the large majority of Americans are probably just a little bit more... In the middle, like they don't really prescribe to any one extreme of the political persuasion. They're just average people that want to work hard, live, have fun, take care of their kids. You know, average people just trying to live average lives, protect themselves. Let's see. Twitter's current lords and peasants system uh, for who has or hasn't had a blue check mark is bullshit. Power to the people. Blue for eight dollars a month. So, again, him kind of talking about the price. And as we go back through his tweets uh, he did mention before, you know, trying to get maybe 20 bucks. I mean, here's a funny Halloween picture. His mother seems like a pretty interesting lady. <laughs> All right. Um, anyway, let me let me just scroll back because, yeah. And, of course, here's a, so you were talking about Vine. Here is a uh, here's a poll that Elon shared about Vine. He said, should we bring back Vine? This was on October 30th. Yes, I love it. Uh, 69% of respondents said, yes, we should bring back Vine. And there were... Four million nine hundred and twenty thousand one hundred fifty-five votes. Yeah, I mean Vine. I know at the time nobody understood why it didn't do well, and the only thing that people could think of was that Twitter has never been profitable. There was no way for them to actually monetize Twitter. Um, they were still, in, and I believe all the way up until the current, they were still always just barely hanging on there was no way for them to be able to maintain the upkeep for vine let alone try to figure out how to monetize it because if you think how do you monetize something like vine that the creator doesn't make the bulk of the money because that's what like even on like if you look at tiktok they're paying and very similar to how some youtube uh 
you know, influencers do it, they're paying the influencer directly. So with TikTok, it's a short video. They're making the deal with the influencer. Mm -hmm. There's actually no revenue share because there's no ads being served on the TikTok type of platform. Same thing with Vine. It's a 13 second video. Where are you going to fit an ad in? I think there's some clever things they can do like banners and things. Now they can, but back in 2016, it just like nobody had any experience with that type of platform. They were uh, ahead of their time. I did. I did read that Elon was bringing in uh, some Tesla engineers actually to yeah, help he a brought, little bit. Yeah, he brought a bunch of like and, and the that, engineers look, over. Those guys are some smart dudes, right? They're mm-hmm. there for a reason. Like, look, Elon has the perfect think tank of brilliant people. That's one thing the man does is hire brilliant people. So, mm-hmm. one last thing here. Um, This was from October 26th, right before the acquisition. A beautiful thing about Twitter is how it empowers citizen journalism. People are able to disseminate news without an establishment bias. That's right. So that right there, Matt, pretty much exactly points to the very thing that we are talking about in regards to Musk. We got one last thing. This is a Wikipedia article related to Prism. I want to talk about Edward Snowden for a minute. I love love talking about Edward Snowden. Dude, now... Look, this is going to be a point of contention for some. And Mm -hmm. I feel like we need to, you know, as we finish out today's podcast, we need to lay out some kind of ground rules here a little bit about talking about Snowden. Because I know he's a polarizing figure to many. Mm -hmm. Okay. We talked about this briefly before we started recording. But I I feel like it's important for our viewers to understand, you know, you know, you're allowed to have a conscience, Right. If a, if a military commander asks you to carry out an unlawful order, if he says, go over there and murder those children in a, in a war zone, you have the ability to go, I'm not going to murder those kids. Are you kidding me? Like, you're crazy. I'm not doing that. You don't have to follow an a unlawful order. That's right. right. You don't. You're allowed to have a conscience. Now, I think that there is a fine line there. I mean, once you start getting into upper security clearances and things like that, you're being trusted with state secrets. You know, there, there's a much higher degree of scrutiny that must occur before you kind of go, all right, well, I mean, like if you worked for, you know, one of these alphabet agencies and you heard they were about to, I don't know, drop a nuke on us or something, you know, whatever, it could be anything, you know, it, you'd be hard pressed to not want to warn someone that something bad was happening, right? So I think it's important to sort of preface this with the understanding that I do believe that what Edward Snowden was trying to do was honorable, even though, yes, he, he broke his oath to do it. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like maybe he viewed his oath to the people and to his countrymen as being a little bit higher well, of see, a cause. And that's the thing, Eric. I, I agree 100%. And people will sit here and give Edward Snowden grief about, you know, oh, he had a responsibility to, to honor his oath of secrecy or his oath to the whatever. But yet they're very quick to turn around and say, well, police officers and sheriff's deputies and judges shouldn't, you know, should, you know, disregard their orders and, you know, uphold the Constitution. Right. Officer discretion. Exactly. If you will. And I would I would say, you know, there's a lot of stuff that he brought to light that has done more good to the public. Uh, sure, it harmed the the government and their ability to operate in secrecy. Um, but everything that he said, man, has been a hundred percent right. So he has not here, been wrong in a single. Here's thing. Here's the reason I want to bring it up, Matt, is because when we look at all of this government oversight and all this snooping, and it, it really makes everything come to light that we're talking about. Okay, you mm-hmm. mentioned on Instagram where when you pull up something, like it knows what you're watching, it knows your 
your um, search habits. It knows what you're looking at. It knows what you're saying. It knows all of these things about you. And it, it begins to um, develop this sort of profile just for you as a person that it mm-hmm. knows the things you love, the things you hate, the things you desire, everything about you. The conversations you're having, if you argued with your wife, if you said something loving to your wife, if you punished your kid, if you played with your kid, I mean, anything, anything within earshot of this phone, they can develop a profile based on a lot of different metrics. I mean, think about it. You have facial recognition on these phones. Mm -hmm. They can look at you and see if you're happy all the time, if you're sad all the time, if you're mad all the time. Biometrics. Biometrics. You got your fingerprint. You willingly gave that to them. I mean, you're wearing an Apple Watch. What are they getting? All of your freaking, your pulse and your, your... so with, everything with they know everything said, about you. With that said, there they just there's a guy I believe it was in Cambridge, in the UK. They created an algorithm for companies that uses the front face camera to watch how long you're actually paying attention to that ad on the phone. So like when you're watching it, it's they showed like a, a demo of how it operates. It like looks at your face. It sees how you're like looking around. If you're actually watching the ad while it's going. Or if you're, if it's running in the background and someone's talking to you and you're looking away and you're talking, you're engaging this person. And the reason they did that was because they can use that to not have to pay. The advertisers don't have to pay for that ad because they get paid that they pay out like per click or per like mm-hmm. amount of time. The advertisers can go back and say, no, 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 we're not paying for this block of ads because in this block of ads, these, you know, 10,000 people, we're engaging with somebody else and yeah, it just happened. It's, it's just insane it, it how is far interesting it's going, what they man. have access to. So let's talk about Prism briefly. All right. And this is just coming straight off Wikipedia. But the reason I want to mention it is because this is where Edward Snowden comes into play. And I want to, I just want to mention that all these things that are coming to light that we've discussed from, you know, Musk purchasing Twitter to the disinformation campaigns and the government interference of big tech and all of this takedown notices and shadow banning and, and you know, pulling people off of platforms and deplatforming people, yeah. all of that. It kind of comes back to this. PRISM is a code name for a program under which the United States National Security Agency collects Internet communications from various U.S. Internet companies. The program is also known by the SIGAD Prism collects stored internet uh, communications based on demands made to internet companies such as Google under Section 702 of the FISA Amendments Act of 2008 to turn over any data that matches court-approved search terms. Now, here's the thing. Court-approved search terms, Mm -hmm. but what Snowden basically wound up saying is, hey, they're they're just collecting, they're farming all this data, right? So let's kind of just, you know, go straight to that. Its existence was leaked. Excuse me. Its existence was leaked six years later by NSA contractor Edward Snowden, who warned that the extent of mass data collection was far greater than the public knew and included that he what he characterized as dangerous and criminal activities. The disclosures were published by The Guardian and The Washington Post on June 6, 2013. Subsequent documents have demonstrated a financial arrangement between the NSA special uh, source Operations Division and Prism Partners in the millions of dollars. Documents indicate that Prism is the number one source of raw intelligence used for NSA analytic reports, and it accounts for 91% of the NSA's internet traffic acquired under FISA Section 702 authority. The leaked information came after the revelation that the FISA court had been ordering a subsidiary of telecom 
uh, telecommunications company Verizon Communications to turn over logs tracking all of its customers' telephone calls to the NSA. So we're not going to go too much further because this is a, a very lengthy rabbit hole to jump down. But again, Snowden warned everybody. And what we're seeing now, all of this mass collection of intelligence is most certainly being used uh, to divide, to conquer, to certainly, you know, lift up one very distinctive narrative, to lift up one very distinctive part of the political equation. I mean, yep. it really all makes sense. I mean, if it hasn't made sense to people up till now, it should now. Yeah, and if you just look at, you know, what they're doing to the American public, kind of using any type of divisive uh, narrative they can use, um, look how fast America is trying to jump back into conflict, back into war. I mean, we just got out of a 20, 20 plus year war. And now we're like, for some odd reason, these, the government's chomping at the bits to go back into war with somebody. So what purpose does that serve? So, I mean, you have War's profitable. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it's always profitable when you have, uh, endless amount of, you know, people and kids to send and you don't have to go, but. Well, when you're the one making all the ordnance yeah, and the bombs and the exactly. airplanes and, you know, people are buying tech from you. Yep. And then you have, you know, other NATO countries leasing tech. So there was one thing that he brought up that Edward Snowden brought up that just blew me away that I didn't, I didn't believe it till it actually, you know, came out. They have the technology to basically clone your phone by sending you a text message, a blank text message. You don't even have to download anything like they just send you a text message your phone downloads it automatically and that's it now they have access to like your phone everything and it was it's it's wild man and i i think of it like he is the like if alex jones wasn't crazy and like just off the wall <laughs> it would be edward snowden because like they're like the polar opposites one is just like super theatrical he like he's been Correct more than he's been incorrect. I love Alex Jones. Dude, he's man. A, Come he's on, a riot, dude. dude. He's, he's an hilarious. Absolute, he's I mean, an but, absolute riot, man. You know, but, I, I like I like the guy's passion. Like he does yeah. have a lot of passion. But and, uh, Edward Snowden is just very like calm, matter of fact. Tells you he, he's like, hey, this is what it is. But the most important message is is that it like you should you should know these things. When he's talking about security, it, he's all about you know uncovering the man behind the curtain he's like listen this is what's going on he's not trying to fear monger he's not like up in arms like you need to do this right now do it he's just like hey this is what it is do with this information what you want be right but i'm just trying to be responsible being a responsible american and let the, the public know i mean i think that that right there kind of like really brings us home, right? Mm -hmm. So what Elon is sort of giving us is a peek under that curtain. He's giving us a very distinctive way for discourse to really occur. And for, you know, and he's being pretty forthcoming about the information he's finding out. I mean, he's being honest. He's firing people that he feels need to be fired. He's trying to right the wrongs. So kudos on him. I mean, I hope that he fixes the platform. I think Twitter's a great platform. I think it's got a lot of potential. I think he will make it better. And he will make it profitable. I mean, I know that profit and making money was never like the original intention of him acquiring Twitter. But at the same time, I mean, you're 44 billion in. Gosh dang, you gotta you gotta make something on it to make it worth your worth right. your investment. If it can at least just pay for itself, honestly, I, I think Musk is happy just 
even if he were to break even, then he's established, he, he's accomplished his goal because now he has that fair town square area. And we'll see if that, uh, you know, ends up being what it truly, uh, you know, winds up shaking out to be. I mean, I think Jack Dorsey just bought like some more equity in Twitter or something like that. Yeah. Uh, kind of behind the scenes I had read on Reuters or somewhere like that. I read so many articles. I can't always remember where they're at, but. Um, it's just interesting to see how this all plays out. And, you know, maybe Jack got a little bit of a conscience. Maybe. Well, he's shown, know, he's shown that he did not like what Twitter, he, he made Twitter. That's why he stepped down. And yeah, and he, you know, while he was the face of Twitter, he had no power. Like they had, mm. they already had like a board, they had CEOs, they had everything in place. He was just kind of there to give the lip service to make, he was, he was a very good face of the company. Yeah. And he's said it time again, time and time again that, you know, his ultimate goal is to, was to make it a free speech platform and it get twisted into what it, what it was. So I, I think that he's going to work with Elon and make it what he originally wanted, which was, you know, just a, a platform that people can, you know, speak on they don't have to worry about persecution they don't have to worry about um being censored or chopped down and depersoned um because it's scary how fast it can happen man like look what happened with kanye man like you make a couple of blurbs and uh everybody tries to deperson you like you don't exist and you know i, I mean yeah i don't agree with what happened like what he said but at the same time Nobody else has the right to to deperson you like that and just try to wipe you out like you never existed. So, I mean, yeah, we're gonna see how this all shakes down. I mean, I'm I'm real curious, and I th I think that there's some interesting times ahead. And uh, I hope everyone enjoyed today's podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. And uh, I really enjoyed this one. I love going down these types of rabbit holes. This They're is so interesting, much fun. man. You know, yeah. it's it's always interesting because I think a lot more people agree than disagree with what's going on. Oh, because what happens, Matt, is you end up seeing, like, when people say, oh, it's a conspiracy theory. That's not true. Prism is a conspiracy theory. Or that, that you know, but anytime you see a conspiracy theory, quote unquote, like, debunked. Yeah. And, and, and shown to be like, wow, like, that person was freaking right. Yeah. Holy crap, you know. It's always a good feeling when you know all, all along you had this gut instinct about what was going mm -hmm. on, and then it finally comes to light, and you go, ha. Yep. Gotcha. We caught you. It's it's like Scooby Doo and you pull the mask off. <laughs> oh, that's who it was, you know. Yep. It, it it that's what's happening right now. And I think it's an exciting time for freedom of speech. It's an exciting time for social media and hopefully this will be a cornerstone in it. And it's just uh I do enjoy Twitter and it's really fun to see uh you know how this goes. You know, especially when I don't have to, it's not my 44 billion dollars on the line. Yeah. I mean, m m look, Musk you you have to you say what you want about the man, but he put his money where his mouth is right. on this one. So on that note, real quick, you just brought up a very good point. That forty four billion was his money. He made it. He earned it through his own whatever venture, joint ventures, venture capitalists. What that was his money, private money. Everybody, I see all these people. That forty four billion could have fed so many starving and hungry kids, and he decides just to buy a failing you know plat tech platform. And I'm thinking, where were you at? When we gave Ukraine fifty billion dollars, you didn't you, you didn't say anything about that, and that's actually your yeah. money. And Musk <laughs> sent all the Starlink equipment to Ukraine. Yes, too. so and I'm he like, was trying to help them with the internet. So he's using his private money to do this, and you you bitch and moan, and the government's using your actual hard earned money, and you're mm -hmm. okay with it. Yep. 
insane. Cognitive dissonance. Yeah, I know, man. All right. Guys, thank you so much for tuning back in. We hope you enjoyed Life, Liberty, and Pursuit this week. We try to post every week. Sometimes we have some gaps. Matt and I are very busy. We have a lot going on. But I really do love these podcasts, and I hope you enjoy this format. Have yourselves a wonderful week, and hopefully we will see you all next week. Have a good one. Thank you so much, and we will see you on the flip side. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to Life, Liberty, and Pursuit. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else podcasts are found. Be sure to leave us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate that. You can support us over on Ballistic Inc. by picking yourself up some merch. And remember, guys, dangerous freedom. Have a good one.